Hello. Hello. Hello, and welcome to Grace Online. We're really excited for you to be able to receive an encouraging word from Scripture today. Because we know that God is already here, and He is ready to be with you. And let's get ready to hear today's message. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for a baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off. And they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had just seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I invite you to keep those Bibles open as Pastor Chris leads us today. It was an unexpected announcement on that first not-so-silent night. As shepherds heard on high, spoke to angels heard on high, spoke to shepherds watching their flocks and fields nearby. It was, for the most part, the same unexpected announcement that came first to a young girl named Mary. And then eventually, in a dream, to her intended, a young man named Joseph. It was an unexpected announcement that would come later to a couple of wise guys from the East, all thanks to a westward-leading star of wonder and royal beauty bright. But in one sense, this announcement shouldn't have been unexpected. It shouldn't have been unexpected because it was a message the creator of all things had delivered from the very beginning, in the aftermath of when this world was broken and humanity completely fell apart. It was a divine promise repeated throughout the progression of time by way of patriarchs and priests and prophets, at times punctuated with signs and wonders, but more often than not, just an echoed assurance that life would not always be like this that things not being the way they're supposed to be 
would not remain the status quo, that there would come a reckoning, a righting of the wrongs, that there would be a great redemption, a regaining of what was once lost, that there would be a lasting reconciliation, a brokering of peace that would mend every fault line and unify life once more and forever. This announcement that brings us together today shouldn't have been unexpected, but it was. It was. Because you see, long, long ago, back at that first Christmas, when the word was given, people had grown tired of waiting. Tired of waiting after more than 500 years for what felt like an empty divine promise. They lost patience with the notion that what seems like an eternity to us, a thousand years, is but a day in the measure of God's timing. Back in the age of empires, where might made right, and peace was kept by the threat of the sword, where wealth was built on the backs of the poor, and laws were written and enforced to protect the privileged few in an ancient world not all that different from our own modern one. Many lost faith. Many chose to believe in themselves rather than a higher power, determining to take matters into their own hands. They reasoned, as many often do, that we all have to make our own luck, that we each must forge our own way in this world in order to survive, let alone to get ahead. And so the announcement of the birth of humanity's long-awaited salvation, the delivery at last of peace on earth and goodwill to all people, ended up being unexpected and therefore was missed by most people once upon a midnight clear. Now, to be fair... To be fair, there might have been some other reasons why this announcement was unexpected and missed by so many. After all, it's generally held, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. And most people probably would have expected that a message of this kind of magnitude, of salvation that radically alters not merely the future of the world, but purposes to reshape the entirety of the cosmos, of all creation, an announcement like that surely ought to have been given with some style and some substance. Heralded, yes, by a great company of angels, yes, but not just in the isolation of the night sky of some shepherd's field, but proclaimed far and wide from every corner of the earth. At the very least, such a pronouncement was more befitting the pomp and circumstance of the royal city of Jerusalem than the muck and mire of a backwater town like Bethlehem. And it wasn't as if the address label on the envelope was the only thing that could have made this announcement something of a surprise. The particular ambassadors through whom this divine declaration was being delivered, they were nothing to write home about either. Mary and Joseph weren't exactly what we might call today a power couple. They were common folk from among the vast throngs of the working poor, not deemed of much notice, worth, or importance in civilized society. And truth be told, truth be told within their own circle, the story of their relationship was something of a scandal. 
An unwed teenage mother carrying a baby that didn't belong to her future husband? Exactly what child is this indeed? This, this is Christ the King, the Messiah we've all been waiting for? This son conceived out of wedlock? This babe, the son of Mary, but not of Joseph? This is the kind of stuff for gossip columns and the tabloids. Not proclaimed as, this is the word of the Lord. Not the kind of publicity that adds much credibility to the idea, the message, that God's long-promised salvation comes by way of these people. Two nobodies whose only claim to fame is their controversial, seemingly illegitimate love child. And while we're at it, Let's not forget to mention the particular packaging of this birth announcement. Now, over the centuries, as you can see right here, over the centuries, we've sanitized the gift wrapping of the first Christmas, crafting more pageantry, more of an all-is-calm, all-is-bright scene, rather than presenting the moment in the lowly, earthly, abject, marginalized context in which it is actually framed. And all our extensive touching up of the original family Christmas picture only further reveals how unexpected this birth announcement was. I mean, back then, still today, back then, still today, we expect our idols, our would-be saviors, we expect them to make their entrances with a bit of fanfare, a little glitz, glamour, some sign, you know, some indication early on of their greatness. And yet these angels from the realms of glory offer no such presumed identifying markers. Instead, they direct all attention towards locating the long-awaited Messiah in the last place anyone would ever look. Not in the soft light and hushed quiet of a cradle, but in the darkness and dung, the stench and the noise, the humble confines of an animal's feeding trough. But as unexpected as a Messiah in a manger was, the biggest surprise might be what no one, not any of those patriarchs, priests, or prophets, no one ever saw coming. That's almost casually slipped into this announcement by these heavenly messengers. This, by the way, is the headline. This is what changes the game. When the angels declare for this Messiah is the Lord. Translation, the infinite becomes finite. The God who from the very beginning vowed to rescue, redeem, and reconcile everything he has created comes down in person to make good on that promise. The fancy theological buzzword used to describe this inconceivable and yet very much conceived miracle is the incarnation. To incarnate means to give flesh to something, to give form and substance to an insubstantial quality. For example, a person who regularly extends compassion and kindness to others, always sharing from whatever they have, never holding anything back, might be called the very incarnation of generosity. Such a person gives substance to the quality of generosity. He or she embodies 
what generosity looks like in the flesh in practice. What makes this announcement unexpected is the incarnation of something, the incarnation of someone that, again, was never envisioned or imagined as possible. The incarnation of something, someone that defies logic and reason, the incarnation of divinity. The embodiment of the divine, not in a generic sense, but the enfleshment of divinity in a very particular, absolute, and personal way. For hark the herald angels sing, the birth of the newborn king is not a gift from God. This heaven-born prince of peace, this son of righteousness, this child named Jesus is the gift of God. God with us. It is the gift of God, the light and author of all life, of all that ever was, all that is and ever will be, of angels without number, of stars without limit, of galaxies uncountable. It is this God, the light and author of life, laying his glory by and willingly sharing in the physicality and bodily nature of his creation. It is the gift of God, the king of kings, becoming subject to the vulnerabilities of our flesh and blood. It is the gift of God in whose image we are created, embodying his pure and perfect character, his wisdom, his righteousness, mercy, grace, truth, and love in the countenance of our own skin, our humanity. Despite this, this headline-making news, once again on that very first Christmas, the announcement intended to bring joy to the world, as well as the precious sacred gift that this good news unveiled, this announcement was so unexpected, it went unheard, unreceived by nearly everyone. But perhaps the greater irony the greater irony is even though this same message has been repeated for centuries upon centuries, this same announcement remains something of a surprise still today. As the observance and celebration of Christmas has evolved over the years into magic sleighs and flying reindeer and elves on shelves and Grinches who try to steal our holiday joy... Many of us hear and receive this message that I'm speaking right now as just another treasured fable in the seasonal catalog. We hear it more out of a sense of nostalgia than any perceived recognition of need. I mean, it's a great story and all, right? It's a great story, but most of us don't expect it. We don't embrace it as gospel, as an announcement that's actually relevant to our daily lives. And, and if we dare, if we dare believe this is more than some religious myth, of all the things we're asking for for Christmas, why should the good news of this gift possibly make the list? Because, because if the last couple of years have made anything clear, not much has changed in the world since this announcement was first given, at least not for the better. Sure, we can, we can and we do, we speak of the advancement of humanity, of improvements in human thought, calculation, invention, and enterprise. 
But when it comes to the evolution of human behavior and actions, for all our so-called progress, can we just admit we're more the same as we've always been? I mean, in the midst of global-wide isolation and sickness, societal division, civil unrest, political polarization, economic disparity, a continuing environmental crisis, can there be little doubt that we still very much, perhaps more than ever, need saving? As, and as more than 2,000 years of recorded history since the giving of this first announcement makes clear, contrary to all our insistence otherwise, we cannot help or fix ourselves. In fact, the more we appeal to self-help, the power of change lies within ourselves. The more all of our talk of self-improvement ultimately proves to be self-serving. Behind all the positive thinking that we tell ourselves, you've heard it, maybe you've said it, I am the master of my own destiny. Life is whatever I make of it. That I am only limited by the limits I put on myself. And all of those mantras is the beginning of the justification for looking out to our own interests. For everyone doing what is right in their own eyes. And while many of us may in good faith say, come on, we may appeal to philosophies like, hey, just live and let live. Hey, to each his own. There is no unity. There is no healing. There is no lasting salvation found here either. Because as well-intentioned as those sentiments might be, in practice, as we've witnessed over and over again, our tolerance of others only extends as far as we perceive our rights and freedoms as being infringed upon. For when the limits, the line of our personal autonomy is crossed, we no longer view ourselves as our brother or sister's keeper. No, when the line of our personal autonomy is crossed, we instead frame our reality as us versus them. That fatal flaw, by the way, that comes up again and again in our story, that fatal flaw that universally marks the human condition is nothing new. It is a mutation within our spiritual DNA that goes all the way back to the origin of the species, even as it is repeatedly echoed through every generation. Now, around these parts, we call it sin. Individually and collectively making up our own rules for life rather than following the original designs and stated intentions of our maker. And that doesn't sound so bad, but if you've ever played a game where everybody makes up their own rules, it isn't fun. In fact, it's a train wreck. In fact, it's miserable. It makes you step away and say, I don't want to play anymore. You can call it what you want. You don't like that word sin, that's fine. You can call it what you want. But there can be no denying that we are our own worst enemy. That we, more often than not, get in our own way. That whether we admit it or accept it, we all fall from grace. We all screw up. We all screw up more times than we can count. We all get it wrong. 
And we especially get it wrong in those moments where we vigorously insist on being right. Oh, I know. We can pretend we're okay. I'm fine. Are you fine? I'm fine. We're all fine, right? We're all fine. We're fine. We can pretend we're okay. We can keep comparing ourselves to others. We love to do that. We can keep comparing ourselves to others, arguing that, well, I'm better than the average person, and at least I'm not as bad as those people. We can continue to point fingers. We're good at that too. We can continue to point fingers, looking for a scapegoat, let somebody else give us a scapegoat. We love that. Someone to blame. Someone, it's not my fault. It's not my problem. Someone else to blame for all our faults and all our troubles. That's where we are. That's where we've been. That's where we can stay. Or we can at last acknowledge, we can finally confess that broken people living in a broken world can't fix, can't cure what ails them. That we all need saving. All of us. We all need saving, not condemnation, but saving because we can't save ourselves. Instead of continuing to breathe in and out the narcissism, the cynicism, the negativity of the age, we can gratefully breathe in the fresh air of this good news of great joy that the angels bring for all people. Did you catch that, by the way? The angels bring for all people. Let me hear that. Let's hear that again, because we often forget that really important part. Sad to say, especially within the church. The unexpected, glorious announcement that brings us together today, the angels say, is for all people. Not some people. Not the nice people versus the naughty people. Not just the believing people, but all people. No one is left out. No one is excluded from receiving the first true gift of Christmas unless it is by their own refusal to take this child Jesus into their arms. Because you see, in that act of confession, this angelic message becomes something more than good news. It becomes an invitation. It becomes a directive to go like the shepherds and learn more about this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. The unexpected announcement of Christmas is merely the start of a journey, a journey of faith, a journey of hope, a journey of love, a journey of discovering and following the one, the word of God made flesh, born this day in Bethlehem. Because the gift of the incarnation does not stop at the manger. The burning cry of the Son of Man, named Jesus, will soon be revealed to be none other than the voice of the Son of God. The voice that calms the storms, the wind and the waves. The voice that blesses bread and fish so that none go away hungry. The voice that brings forth sight for the blind and freedom for the captives. The voice that casts out the demons which oppose and overtake us. The voice that speaks wisdom and truth in the midst of all of our questions and our doubts. The voice that calls out and recognizes those on the margins of life who otherwise are ignored or repressed. The voice that will become silent as Christ walks through the darkest valley of every stain, every addiction, 
every hurt, every failure that burdens our humanity in order to willingly sacrifice himself to break the inevitable shadow of death that hangs over all existence. The voice that will not speak when falsely accused and unjustly treated, that will not make a sound before all the evil that men do, all the mockery and violence we will pour upon him, the voice that will not make a sound until that moment, hanging between life and death, when Jesus will declare, all is forgiven in the name of love. <laughs> but the most unexpected part of this announcement that begins at Christmas, the biggest surprise of all, if you don't know, fittingly arrives at what we perceive as the end of the story. For the child who is born to die is revealed to be the one who is born whom death cannot hold. As Jesus, the firstborn from the womb of Mary, becomes the firstborn from among the dead as he walks out of the tomb intended to be his grave. Incarnation shall give way to resurrection. The sacred nativity of Christmas anticipates the inauguration, get ready for it, of humanity's rebirth through Easter. And so this announcement we call gospel takes one final unexpected turn. For those who believe this announcement and follow the one to whom it points Jesus, we become the body of Christ. Resurrection shall give way to incarnation yet again because the breadth and beauty of the gift of Christmas is not limited to the historical particularities of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. No, those who hear and receive this good news are both called and empowered to embody this message, to incarnate the character and promises of God revealed through Christ to others. Just as Christ reached down through time and space to take up residence with us, to assure us we are not alone, we are to come alongside each other, to be fully present to those around us. Just as the light of the world shines brightly in our lives, piercing the veil of our insecurity and fear, so we too are to carry the light of Jesus and push back against the darkness that threatens to overtake those burdened by loss and sorrow. Swaddled in the love of God in Christ, not because of what we've done or we might do, but swaddled in the love of God in Christ simply, unconditionally, because we are his children. We are commissioned to clothe others, particularly those in need, to clothe them with limitless compassion and mercy, with endless, extravagant forgiveness and grace, we are to remind and reclaim each and every person as a beloved daughter or son of God. In this, and only in this, is the evidence that we have heard and believed the unexpected announcement of Christmas. Not that we call ourselves Christians. Not that we have Christian stuff all over our house. Not because we listen to Christian radio. Not because we attend a church. The evidence that we have heard and believed this story that brings us together, this unexpected announcement of Christmas, is that we reflect it. We incarnate it. We share it with each other. That's the demonstration that we have taken this good news to heart rather than for granted. My friends, 
It's Christmas time. And an unexpected announcement brings us together today through the baby born in Bethlehem, the one named Jesus. God is forever born anew in our time, in our place, in our lives. And it's a birth announcement that seeks to move us from merely celebrating the event of Christmas to becoming conduits, you and I, us together, conduits of the experience of the spirit of Christmas So let's keep rejoicing. Yeah, let's pray. Let's sing. Let's open gifts. But may all our prayers, all our singing, all our rejoicing, all our gift giving lead us like the shepherds, like the magi of old, to go and see, to come and worship, to become a part of who Jesus is by sharing what Christ has done in word and deed with every person we encounter. Merry Christmas. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org.